Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of A Good Drop, where each week and every week we go back to basics and talk about the easy stuff to drink. Yeah, today we're breaking it down and talking about how to get into whiskey. Mm, all the sweet flavors, savory flavors, uh, smoky flavors, and everything in between. I'm Stu. I'm Michael. Cheers. Cheers. Whiskey. Uh, there's, you know, let's just jump right into it because there's lots to talk about. And what I suppose before we start, I need to say that this is our opinion on beginner whiskies and your opinion on different whiskies and flavors could be different. Yeah, so we'll give you a bit of an overarching explanation of what sort of flavors you can expect from what sort of whiskies in case you're not looking for what we're looking for in a starter Mm. so that you know where to begin your own whiskey journey with flavors that interest you yeah that's exactly it um i mean we've been drinking for a very long time in fact we've got a podcast about drinking so i would (laughs) i would say that we are uh experienced drinkers and that informs our opinions. Mm, it does, it does. And uh, yes, so let's let's begin by, I guess, laying down the basics of flavor profiles because that is the beginning of beginning, mm. what sort of tests you want. And generally, the uh, rule of thumb with whiskeys is that the younger the whiskey, the more distillery character it has, the more flavors coming out of the distilling process and older whiskies are more influenced by the cask and flavors they get from the wood but there is certainly much more to flavor profiles than just that like how old it is and what it was aged in makes a very small difference where it came from and the style it was made in makes a significantly larger difference mm. to the sort of flavor that you'd expect. Yeah. There's five major styles. You've got bourbon, which we're talking about now. You've got Scotch. You've got Irish. You've got Japanese whiskey. And you've got Canadian whiskey. Oh, and I nearly forgot rye whiskey. Rye whiskey, of course. Mm. That's a major style as well. Yeah. And each each of these is made in a slightly different way. Everything from the type of distilling apparatus they use to the uh, type of mash. That, yeah, to, to what's in the mash. To There's a word I'm thinking of. Like It's not the barley. It's it's like the, the barley that they use, the grain that the, they use. Yeah, the barley, the grain, sometimes the corn. The corn. And how they dry out the malt hmm. makes a big difference as well. And I suppose... Let's give a a quick rundown on the flavor profiles you can expect from the different types and I guess why you can expect them just real quick like. Hmm. So um, Irish whiskey is a good place to start since many say that's where it all began. And yeah, um, I'm pretty sure we said that in our Irish whiskey episode. I think we did. And it is often a blend of 
pot stilled malted and unmalted whiskies with column stilled corn based grain whiskies though you can get single malt irish whiskies obviously mm. now because irish whiskey malt is dried in a closed kiln away from the fire and the smoke it doesn't have the smoky flavor that is characteristic of scotch whiskies and uh, it's distilled at lower temperatures than most other whiskies to maintain a sweet, toasty, honey sort of a flavor. Mm. Irish whiskey, well, Irish whiskey for a long time, they only used pot stills. They, that must be a very recent development that they've started to use column stills or coffee stills. Mm, and blend the, the two together. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you like, if you're more interested in the sweeter flavors, Irish whiskey is 100% the way to go. Um, it goes very well in coffees, in hot chocolates, um, on its own, with, on the rocks. Um, I don't know if you'd mix it with Coke, though. Yeah, Coke. No, I'm, I'm not sure that I would. But certainly with um, with ginger ale, perhaps, hmm. or, a, or a ginger beer. But it's it's a very, yeah, it's a sweet, smooth... If you don't like uh, smoky or charcoal flavors, it's definitely the way mm. to go. Absolutely. Now, uh, Scotch whiskey can only be made in Scotland, as you would expect, and is uh, gets its distinctly smoky flavor from the process of drying the malt over a fire, which is often fueled by burning peat. Hmm which is how you get some very peaty-flavoured scotches. And that's what they mean by a peaty scotch. They just mean smoky. Yeah, and specifically peat smoke, because if the smoke has come from something else, it will have a different flavour. And uh, though the smoky aspect generally defines scotch, each region of Scotland produces a slightly different and distinct flavour characteristic. Now, the islands region is known for its salty peat smoked flavor notes mm, which is my favorite area the talisker or the talisker storm is my favorite whiskey at the moment yeah and of course when you start getting into specifics which we won't go into here some are peatier than others mm. and uh, i suppose that just depends on the master distiller's preference at, at this point yeah like the these these areas are generalizations. They're more likely to have flavors in these particular profiles, but it's n- by no means a hard and fast rule. Yeah, absolutely. And so the Speyside region is known for producing scotch with a fruity, nutty, sometimes even spicy character. And uh, that's really all I've got about Speyside. <laughs> but uh, the Highlands region scotch generally has malts that are subtle and floral with heather honeyed tones and occasionally a touch of peat smoke. Mm. So while the lowlands region generally produces whiskey with light estuary grassy flavor notes. I don't yeah, I I've had a couple of whiskies from there and I'm not I don't know if I'm a fan. Yeah, I, I don't think I've had any lowlands region whiskies, but it doesn't sound like something that yeah, I would want from from a whiskey. We would have to taste these and compare. Yes. Now, of course, those flavors are more prominent in single malt scotch, 
with blended varieties generally having their harder flavors softened by having been blended in a cask for several months with other single malts that were both aged independently already. Mm. And uh, it's not uncommon for 20 to 25 whiskies to be used in a blend with as many as half of them being single malt. So often they'll actually use a blend in a blend. A blend of a blend of a blend. Yeah, and uh, the higher-end blended whiskies tend to use more single malts, which let it develop a deeper, a deeper flavor in, I guess, the direction that they were trying to pull it with those particular malts. Mm. Because they, as you might expect, have a a master blender, if you will, whose job it is to pick out exactly which ones are going to be blended mm. and which amount of each to get exactly the flavor profile thereafter from that blended whiskey. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. You're going to... If you're looking for a particular flavor profile, how are you going to know what it's going to taste like? Like, he's he's the head chef. Yeah, and he's probably been experimenting for a very long time, and then mm. he's, he's hit his recipe and he just produces that time and again. Mm. Before we go into bourbon whiskey, let's talk about what, like, single malt means. Single malt means it's from a single grain, single type of grain. So a single malt could be, a, could be only malt, or only uh, corn, or only rye. A blend. If it doesn't say single malt, it could be a blend of malt and rye, for example. So when you're talking about a single distillery, that's a label in itself, mm. uh, along with single barrel as well. Yeah, but of course, blended does talk about a blend of different whiskies, hmm. which is where it gets confusing. Yes. But it could still be, but a a single malt is still blended. It's still blended with other different whiskies, just of the same grain type. Yes, yeah. which is why the age on the bottle tells you not how old it all is, but how old the youngest is. Mm. How old the youngest whiskey is? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, because they w- will quite often blend a older whiskey with a younger whiskey to uh to to soften the harsher flavors of a of a young whiskey mm, and to impart more of those characteristics of the barrel without having to leave that much sitting in the barrel for that long yeah cuz leaving storing something for 25 years is an expensive endeavor yes whiskey distilleries take up a lot of space with storage which is why we are now slowly starting to see clear whiskies. Because it's are something we? that can be... Oh, yes. I've never seen one. It's something that can be produced very quickly using some of the clear distillers that would be added to the barrel to later become whatever whiskey what? they're turning it into. What? And so it still has that distilled... Whatever flavors are distilled into it, but it has none of the barrel. That's sounds like a sounds like what Pisco is to brandy. Yeah, which I mean, is unaged, mm. un no flavor imparted from its aging unit. Yeah, certainly. I think something that is good for maybe a small boutique distillery that wants to start 
getting some cash back in while they're aging the good stuff. Mm. That's weird. Yeah, I'm, I'm not actually sure where to acquire it, but I did learn that it exists. Yeah. Another little tidbit about Scotland and Scottish whiskey, Scotch whiskey, is that their export market is massive, <clears throat> is massive compared to their internal market. You will pay top, top, top dollar for a whiskey, a, for a Scotch whiskey in Scotland because all of the distilleries are exporting it to the rest of the world. So about 85% of the Scotch whiskey produced is exported instead of used locally. That is a lot. That surprised me a little bit because I thought they'd all be very big Scotch drinkers, but the world is very big. Mm, the world is very big and people like scotch. Scotch is very popular and certainly among those who have developed a taste for whiskey, scotch is well sought after. Mm. And would you be surprised to learn that more scotch is sold in France in one month than cognac is sold in a year? That is surprising. The French mm. must love scotch. So, I'm, well, I'm starting to think that people love Imports, like people love stuff that's not from around here. Perhaps, like from all, because there you can't make scotch locally. You can't, no, well, unless you, you're in Scotland. Yeah, you literally can't. You can make a scotch style whiskey, but you mm. can't make scotch. And it, but my point is that it wouldn't be, wouldn't taste like a scotch because aging it in Australia would affect the flavor profile. Quite by a significant amount. Oh yeah, with very different weather. Hmm. Absolutely, which is why the whiskies that are produced here by the likes of Starward and Mount Uncle Distillery are very different to what you might get from somewhere else. Mm. Which is why bourbon is so popular here. See that segue? Yes. And that does bring us very nicely to bourbon, which can only be produced in the good old US of A. Hmm. Which is a law if we, if you guys remember back to our bourbon podcast. Yeah, and it also must be made from a mash containing at least 51% corn and uh, with other grains allowed to comprise of the remainder, it also needs to be aged a minimum of two years in charred oak barrels. And those factors, of course, result in a bold flavor profile with big vanilla, oak, and caramel notes. Mm. Bourbon has big bold flavors but they're simple and smooth Mm. and still on the sweeter end of the scale like not as sweet as irish whiskey but not as savory as scotch Um, and we are drinking a bourbon right now we are we are drinking the hogs three bourbon which you may remember from our whiskey blind taste tester Mm, the one where we really botched (laughs) yeah we, we really got it wrong and we liked this one more than apparently we should have yeah it, well, it's a perfect example of a beginner whiskey because it's smooth, it's not very expensive, and you don't feel guilty about mixing it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a little on the bitey side, but that's to be expected of any whiskey. Mm. We're also drinking it on the rocks. Yes. Which I'm sure will offend a lot of people who are bourbon fans. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> bourbon is very commonly consumed with Coke. Mm-hmm. Or with uh, dry ginger ale. Yeah. Bourbon and dry, also very popular. Mm. 
And uh, another thing worth noting is, of course, that they don't have to stop at two years when they're aging bourbons. They can age them longer, and if they age them more than five years, it's a slightly different variance to if they age them between two and five years. And if they do, they have to put an age statement on the bottle. Mm. Which quite often is just straight bourbon whiskey, meaning it's been aged at least two years. Yeah, and the age statement can be part of something else. Like on this, they've got a bit of a description and the age statement is included in that. Mm. It says, This mature Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey has been aged for over three full years in newly crafted and charred American white oak barrels from which it takes its depth of colour and smooth, dry taste. Mm. And, yeah, this is this is nice. Yeah, and a lot of other drinks and... Indeed, a lot of other whiskies owe some of their flavor to the fact that the law says a barrel that has been used to age bourbon can only be used for that once. Mm. It has to be a brand new charred American oak barrel. It has to be a brand new charred American oak barrel. And Which, now it, that blows my mind. Like it's, it sounds so wasteful. Yeah. But the end result is that you get people making other whiskies who are then aging that whiskey in a bourbon barrel. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, or, like, it it helps. Like the there's a secondary market, but yeah, it just that it irks me a little bit. A little, but some of them might even be getting burned because we can uh, neatly, well, we can neatly roll this through into the variant of bourbon we spoke on earlier, Tennessee whiskey, mm. with its main difference, apart from that, it has to be made in Tennessee being that it has to be made using the Lincoln County process, which uh, literally means filtering it through charcoal chips. Mm, and That gives it an incredibly smoky flavor. Yeah, and it can take as long as two weeks for them to drip one barrel of whiskey through wow. 10 meters deep of... That's a lot of char. Yep, of French oak wood chips. Huh. Charred French oak wood chips. But not charred American oak wood chips. Well, it depends on the the Tennessee whiskey, I suppose. I think some of them would use French oak, some of them would use American oak, because there's no... It doesn't specify what the wood chips must be produced out of. Ah, there you go. I suppose it probably doesn't matter much. Yeah. But it's only it has to be filtered through, hmm. filtered through that, and that's what makes a Tennessee whiskey. That and being made in Tennessee, that's like the most important part. Yeah. So most Tennessee, they also it doesn't have to follow the same rules as a bourbon. Mm. So most Tennessee whiskies could be classed as bourbons, but not all. But we- not all, and. Bourbons cannot be classed as Tennessee whiskeys. No, it's different. Yeah. Yeah. That surprised me a little bit. Yeah, because you will end up with a very charcoal flavor, though supposedly not excessively so. Mm. It is... We had a a Tennessee whiskey at some point, didn't we? Was it the... Maker's Mark? Um, 
Yeah, I think the Maker's Mark might yeah. have been a Tennessee whiskey. Which I'm pretty sure I bought for the bourbon episode. And we didn't really like it. <laughs> yeah, that said, though, the best-selling whiskey in the world is Jack Daniel's Old Number 7 Tennessee Whiskey. Yeah. I suppose if you're going to start somewhere, that's also a very good starting point because everybody drinks it. Yeah. And I believe it is a whiskey that could be... Like it is a Tennessee whiskey that could also be classed as a bourbon, hmm. I think. I'm pretty sure everyone just calls it bourbon. Yeah, I think they mostly do, though. Technically, it is a Tennessee whiskey. Mm. You know, us Australians butchering languages and culture. Yes, so let's, I guess, briefly talk about rye whiskey, Yeah. which uh, there's not an awful lot to it. It's made with a minimum of 51% of the grain used being rye, and uh, it has a similar taste to bourbon. But there's a notable spiciness and slightly bitter flavor that comes from the rye. I haven't had rye whiskey yet, so that's on my bucket list, on my drinking bucket list. Mm. And uh, rye whiskey actually brings us very nicely into Canadian whiskey. Which is rye whiskey, because not Well, Canadian whiskey contains rye, but rye is not one of the key ingredients. So the... The maker chooses an amount of rye to use based on which how much rye characteristic they want to get in it. Yep. So there's always rye in there, and it's never the key ingredient, but because rye has such strong flavors... Mm. It tastes mostly like rye. Yeah, just through varying the flavor gives you the, mm. the different rye characteristics. Yeah, I remember our, uh, our Canadian whiskey was very sweet. Yeah, it ends up uh, with a flavor profile that's light-bodied and versatile mm. with yeah, the subtle spice that comes from the rye. And it is, I guess, another pretty decent starting point if you want something with a little more spice in it that is still smooth and easy to drink. Mm. Canadian whiskeys definitely mix well. Oh, yeah. Because they're so... like. Because they've got a a spice, but they're very mild. They're well, they're very smooth. They're very smooth whiskies, so they mix well. Yeah, they mix incredibly well. Hmm. And um, I suppose that brings us to Japanese whiskies as well. Yes, uh, which are made in the Scottish style, mm. but in no way, shape, or form are they Scotch whiskies. No, because I mean you're dealing with very different weather conditions. They're using very different water, mm. and a different mixture of ingredients too. Like they they are not uh, limited by Scottish Scottish law and regulation. Yeah, so they can play with it and produce some really nice tasting things that are reminiscent of Scotch, mm. but with a still very different taste profile and often. Smoother, I would say. Oh, yeah. All the Japanese whiskeys I've had so far are ultra smooth, like dangerously smooth. Um, the, yeah, we've had a few before. The um, Hakushu 12 year. Mm. Uh, what Fantastically else? The, the Yam- Yamazaki distillery whiskey. Yeah. I mean, th- these are all made by Suntory. Yeah. Like Suntory basically holds the, holds a monopoly on on uh, alcoholic beverages in in Japan. Mm, well, yeah, I mean, Suntory and uh, a few other large alcohol corporations. I don't think Suntory owns 
Kieran beer. They're owned by somebody else, but they also own whiskey distilleries. Mm. And pro- they probably own Asahi as well. Yeah, they might do. Mm. But yeah, certainly, I guess if you're talking moving your way through complexities, if you're saying that you want to start with something simple and mixable and work your way up, then I would probably suggest that the path would be to begin with a Canadian or a bourbon. Yeah, because they, they both mix very well with Coke or Cola or Pepsi or some other variant of that. Yeah, and then transition, I suppose, through Japanese and Irish into Scotch. Mm. Though if you're interested in starting to drinking, starting to drink Scotch, sorry, if you're inter- interested in starting to drink whiskey neat, I would say start with Japanese whiskey because of how smooth it is. Yeah, it is definitely ridiculously easy to drink neat. And I would, I've, I've never drunk it mixed with anything. I would feel dirty if I did that. I feel like I have, but I can't remember. I can't recall. But I don't like I don't like Coke, so that is most mixes like just thrown out the window there. <laughs> yeah. Um I mean you could. There is nothing stopping you, and it would be a very smooth beverage. Oh yeah. It would be insanely smooth, and I guess if you tried it neat and it was still just a bit much for you, then you can always, you know, add a splash of Coke or ginger ale or, or soda water. Soda water even, mm. yeah. Um ice is always a good mixer. If you because I ice works like if you're finding your whiskey, your neat whiskey too bitey, ice works because well it works for two reasons. One, the when you cool it down, the it's easier to drink because it's it doesn't burn your tongue quite and throat quite so much. The the bite is dulled down, and secondly, it do, it does exactly the same thing because it waters it down too. And some people don't like that. But if you're if you're new or you just want a relaxing drink that doesn't set your taste buds on fire, both in good ways and bad ways, chuck some ice in. Yeah, and if you get to a point where. You like how it tastes when it's chilled because it does alter the flavor profile slightly to have it colder, but you don't want to water it down. You can either chill the glass before you pour the whiskey into it, Mm. chill the whiskey if you're a little bit mad, (laughs) or use scotch rocks. Mm. They they can be either stones or uh, I've seen like metal cubes with a like a gel in them. Mm, and I, I have both varieties and they each have their uh, their positives and negatives. Hmm. I haven't really used them much so I can't really speak to the difference but definitely chilled whiskey is easier to drink than non-chilled. Yeah, it, it smooths it out without a doubt. It takes the bite out. Mm. The other way I've seen people drink whiskey is neat... Neat meaning as is, with a spl- a splash of cold water, a splash of soda water, cold soda water, or a you know a splash of something, because it doesn't change the flavor. Like it is, 
not going to be more watered down the more you drink it or the longer you leave it. It'll be as is until you finish it. Yeah, so if it's just that little bit too bitey, add a tiny bit of water and mm. take the edge off. But yeah. Yeah, so I I would definitely agree with you with the the best one to mix being bourbon or Canadian. And then best to drink neat first would be Japanese. Yes. Yes, without a doubt. Um, for, yeah, for more experienced drinkers, scotch is where, it, where it's at. Yeah, that said, though, I mean, we are drinking a bourbon neat at the moment and... We're crazy. Just absolute bonkers. <laughs> but if, if those are flavors that you like, then by all means, drink bourbon neat. It's... Mm. You know, quite it's quite drinkable. You know, from if that's what I'm looking for on the day, I quite enjoy bourbon that way. Yeah, me too. Um, one other thing that I that we need to talk about before we go is that don't get the cheapest whiskey you can buy. Just please don't. That is where demons lie. Yeah, I mean, can you mix it? Yes, you can. Will you need to? Absolutely. <laughs> it is not a good starting point. You'll put yourself off. Yes. Um, with our our blind tasters, we've really noticed that the cheap stuff, like you you, if you do your research and you know what to look for, the cheap stuff can be good, but more often than not, the cheap stuff is just nasty. Um, it'll get it'll get you drunk. It does that job well, but you got to mix it um, to make it drinkable. The nicest stuff tends to be mid priced. You know, one probably one and a half times the price of the cheap stuff. Yeah, I mean, good drop territory yeah. is kind of where you want to be looking. Because, like, we just don't know the price of alcohol in the US to really say get something that's this price. Yeah, and again, we're we're all over. So we, yeah, we we might say, oh yeah, something this price and things that price in the US are perfect, but in Canada they're not, or in Japan they're not, or in mm. South Africa they're not, or even here they're not. Yeah. Um, but I've noticed that stuff that's about one and a half times the cheapest price for spirits anyway, is about where it's good. Like $35 Australian, um, is about where it's cheapest at the moment. So doing a bit of head maths, 48 to $50. You'll find some fantastic stuff in that territory. Hmm. You disagree? No, well, I'm I'm thinking that the exchange rate is not that good at the moment. <laughs> yeah, but for uh, us, but yes, no, but my my point is is that it's the one and a half times. Yes, yeah, one and a half times. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. It doesn't work for wine because you can get some cheap ass wine, and you can get some really good cheap ass wines if mm. you know exactly what to look for. Yes, but that's a uh, discussion for another that's a episode. Whole episode, yeah, yeah. Um. I haven't got anything else. Yeah, no, neither do I. So, so that that's it then. So, guys, if you liked what you heard, be sure to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. Uh, we are a good drop all about alcohol on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, pretty much everywhere. You can find us on your favorite podcast app. Yes, tell your friends because... They want to listen to us too. They just don't know it yet. <laughs> and, of course, 
if you want to show them some of the things we've been talking about, they can find us on the socials, Facebook and Instagram as a good drop podcast. And if you want to check out our library of previous episodes, you can jump on our website, agooddrop.com.au. And if you've got any comments, questions, feedback, suggestions for future episodes, please send us an email to agooddrop at gmail.com. We love hearing all the feedback we've got so far. Do be sure to tune in for our next episode when we go back to... uh back to wine which we've not talked about for a while not in this way at least we're talking chinese wine by you this is something that neither of us, neither of us have had before so i'm super keen on this one I'm yeah so am so i excited. I'm, I'm excited because we've tried we've tried the korean variant we've tried the japanese variant of rice wine mm-hmm. but we, oh that's right it's rice wine it's rice wine i totally forgot about that when you said wine i was thinking grapes and grapes and grapes <laughs> anyway See you next time, guys. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.